Facebook, Twitter, 24-7 News, talk radio, citizen journalism, fake news, real news. The audience is drowning in an overwhelming overload of information. Clearly a guidepost is needed to identify what is trustworthy and a reliable source of both news and information. The Delaware Humanities Podcast, A Matter of Facts, will delve into this topic. I'm Nancy Karabjanian. The A Matter of Facts podcast is brought to you by Delaware Humanities, a state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Its mission is to engage, educate, and inspire all Delawareans through cultural programming. We thank the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation for its generous support of this initiative and the Pulitzer Prizes for its partnership. A Matter of Facts is produced by Delaware Public Media, Delaware's source for NPR News. Now we join our A Matter of Facts podcast host, Nancy Karabjanian. There's something so compelling about a news photograph, something that pulls you in, enhances your experience, rounds out your understanding of a story. Whether it's the split-second photographic evidence of a horse crossing the finish line, the indelible image of a mother's anguish amidst the rubble of her home in Syria, or the combination of simplicity and grandeur of a sunset over the Brandywine Valley, Photos capture our world frame by frame, and in good hands, in fact, the best hands, the evidence speaks for itself. But with editing and manipulation, can we still trust what the photo lets us see with our own eyes? Jim Graham is a photojournalist who is perhaps most comfortable behind his lens. He's a Pulitzer Prize-nominated photojournalist, a former staff photographer for the News Journal, and has shot frames for the Associated Press, The Washington Post, Vanity Fair, and the New York Times, just to name a few. Today we're talking about the evolution of photojournalism and how to know if what we see is what the photographer actually saw. Jim, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. I have a simple, easy question to start. Can we trust what we see? In most cases, yes. My biggest fear is that because the news has now become something that's monetized, that has is so many of the organizations are owned by um, hedge funds or you know large financial groups that are looking for great return on their investment as opposed to in the days that I was working for or began working for the News Journal when the DuPont family had just sold the company. It was a family business. They weren't looking to make 35% return on their investment. They were happy with 10 you have different pressures. In today's world, you have lots of citizen journalists that are willing to throw things in, and not necessarily accredited journalists. Not, they might be a, a dentist that has a fancy camera and is doing it on the side, but he's not a real journalist. Well, let me, let's go back in time for a moment, and right. let's take you back to when you were shooting for news on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's that, um, those days when your scanner would light up, and yep. off you had to go. Yep. And one of those instances is actually what led to you being nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. Take me through that day quickly, and, and let me know about the um, responsibility that you felt for that story. And we've got some of the shots here that maybe we can describe, and how that all came to be. Well, I think that that you can say that the beginning of that was 
literally a class that I had taken out at the University of Missouri. Uh, I had gone to a boot camp there. The University of Missouri had one of the great photojournalism programs. And there was a man named Cliff Edom that was running it, who was one of the original fathers of photojournalistic education. And Cliff had a motto was, truth through the camera. So having gone out and taken that, uh, in, as I remember, remember Jefferson City, Missouri, um, coming back and being sent out to a police call where there was a hostage situation. And, you know, you, you take your gear with you, and in those days you take your walkie-talkie with you. Uh, cell phones really didn't exist. And I got there. There was uh, a police barricade. And you start to go, okay, what can I make? How, what do I see in front of me? And you start to document what you see. And most of it's with a long telephoto lens because that's the only way you can reach, um, you can see to any resolution per se, um, what's in front of you. And so you start taking notes just as a reporter would take notes with a pad of paper I'm doing the same thing, carefully pushing the button. But I'm also limited in that I only have so much film with me. And film was 36 frames a roll. And when you run out of film, you run out of words. Because if I can't take the picture, I can't tell you what I saw. Other Do than you know what you're taking when you take it? Or is it surprise upon, well, back in those there's days, development? There's... Uh, there's anticipation in everything that you take. There's, Ansel Adams called it pre-visualization, where you're looking and you're, you're, you're saying, I see that person in the distance talking to that person, and there's a gesture there. And this is the kind of thing that might happen, so I think I need to focus there. And then have enough sight or anticipation to press the button at the right time. To make that exposure. So all of those ingredients went into that photo. Describe the Very actual so. photo for me, the one that got the attention, and I'll bet there were probably 40 other frames somewhere was, well, that were equally remarkable. It, was, it, was a, it wasn't a single photo. It was a photo story, an essay, let's say. Um, and it was a picture of his son and daughter um, reacting to the, to the knowledge that their mother was dead. Um, their father had their father and mother were estranged. Um, father had gone back to the house. Apparently, she had a protection order against him. Um, something happened. He shot her to death, and then held himself hostage. Uh, it was over an eighteen-hour span, so that I I was there for most of it. They called me off at one point, and then I went back. Um, when I went back, you know, went back to the to the barricade. And there was a neighbor who hadn't been cleared. They, they didn't clear all the houses and empty, you know, evacuated the whole thing. They just wouldn't let you down the street. And so this one neighbor was talking about how I can see everything from my front lawn. And I said, well, can I come with you? I know I can't be on the front lawn, but I could certainly come in the house. And he said, sure, come on back. And I basically left all of my gear except for my walkie-talkie about six rolls of film and a 400, as I remember, a 400 millimeter lens in one body. And a policeman stopped me and I said, look, I really got to use the loo. And he, he kindly said, okay. And the guy went, oh, okay. And so 
that got me into a house directly across the street from um, the, I guess it was the Newell house. And I stayed there and would call back into the news journal a blow by blow for as long as the battery lasted mm -hmm. on the walkie talkie so that we could write the story because the reporter couldn't get in. See, I think that's something people don't grasp is that a true photojournalist has the emphasis on photo and the emphasis on journalist mm -hmm. as well because you are telling the story through pictures. That's right. I've got to, at times, is. It, I used to say this, and I, I'm, I'm sure I know it's true. Our photo staff then, which was one of the best staffs at that time in the country, we we I completely were, agree. We uh, we won. We had three photographers that won Picture of the Year awards, the National Press Photographer Association Picture of the Year awards. Um, we were all we always placed very very well. We used to beat the Enquirer all the time, um, and that's because they. They put us in a position to succeed. They let us get out there. They let us go and say, we want you to make imagery of Delaware and our surrounding area. We want you to show us what it's like every day. Today, the idea in a newspaper of something that we called a cut line only, which was just a photograph and a small description of that, of what it was, doesn't exist anymore because, well, we don't have the space or it doesn't fit our layout. Things have definitely changed. Something else mm -hmm. that's changed, everybody has a camera, has selfie technology, the whole instinct to take a selfie every five seconds. How has that changed our perception of photography? And how has that changed how you approach taking pictures? Um, in, I'll answer the second part first. It hasn't changed my approach at all. Um, I still have the need, the want, the desire to portray what I see. But I have to wear a couple of different hats. I have to have, when I am working as a photojournalist, I have a hat that says I have to be truthful in what I do and that I'm not going to manipulate other than tone, which is change the white point, the black point, that kind of thing, make sure that the color balance is correct. But I'm not going to manipulate the content of an image then there is the commercial photographer, the photographer that is working to satisfy the needs of a corporation. Those might be a little manipulated. I may, in a portrait, smooth out pores. I may remove a blemish. It's expected. And it's, it doesn't go against the, quote, rules of what I'm supposed to do. And then there's Jim, that's the fine artist that wants to get across what I felt, what I saw, and maybe have a message. And there I'm starting to look at color symmetries. I'm starting to want to create metaphors and things like that. I'm trying to look at perhaps a painting style and not necessarily duplicate, duplicate it, but create something that's a more artful image. Like your, your pictures in Cuba. And I encourage those who are listening to, to go online and find those because there's a uh, mixture of joy, sadness, mm -hmm. deterioration, mm -hmm. and hope. It, in know, like these, just a single frame. It's amazing. The, the Cuba that I went to, 
um, which is, I don't know that it, I think it's still there, it, it, although they've cleaned it up some in the five or six years that it's been since I was there. But I remember at one point looking at a, a broad scope of Havana itself and thinking that I was looking at a Planet of the Apes set, sort of a or post-apocalyptic um, um, thing, and, and, and wondering, these, these people are, were living in these crumbling buildings, and as, as if everything was forgotten. And it just, so it's how do you get that across? Well, and you, you did. And, to, and in, in my case there, one of the things, I had gone down with another group of photographers. And I, my original thought was, is I just want to work on the landscape. But what I kept finding was, is that the people were the landscape. And so it's how do I, and if you remember some of those portraits and they're craggy and they're weathered and all of that, or there's the, the one gentleman that's a, just a very tight image and it's more about his eyes. How do I get across the similarity between the people and the crumbling buildings and relate that to the society that they're living in? I wish people could actually see you as you talk about that because you become very animated and yeah. your arms are moving and banging yeah. the table and it and it really just um gives a sense of the of what you said the fact that you can't separate your emotion from what you're doing. Things are changing though. Um you know, could a photo like that be completely manipulated today with the software that's available? No, sure. You can, I mean, with the software that's out there today, with with uh, Photoshop or any number of, of, even an iPhone app, you want to smooth out your face, fine, smooth out your face. You know, it's it's not realistic. It, it's, uh, but, and that's part of the problem in a way in that the idea, we talked very briefly about the idea of the citizen journalist. Okay, I have rules that I have to follow. We had ethics rules back in the day at the newsroom. We couldn't even, to give you an idea, I couldn't, as a news journal photographer, work for you because I might cover you. And an exchange of money between us could call into question how I was covering you. Now imagine today, wait a minute, you're giving me money and I'm not supposed to do anything? Yeah, no, it doesn't work. And so those were my rules, and those continue to be my rules to an extent. Um, but today, you know, everybody thinks they're a photographer. Well, uh, there, there's a difference. There's a difference. I think that the real trained photographer, the real pro, actually truly sees what's in front of them. When I think about pictures that have had an impact. I think about mm -hmm. the way we reacted to the famine in Ethiopia, mm -hmm. and it was because we saw children who were starving. We care about police brutality, and we began to care about it after we saw Rodney King's face, after we saw how he had been battered, and that has continued on. Preserving integrity, is, is there going to be a groundswell to assure that that continues to happen? I don't know. I hope so. I, there is such a problem with the idea of what's real and what's fake or fake news in our society. And we've seen where there was a picture of 
uh, one of the young women from um, is it Parkside? Park, yes, one of the students and, from and Florida. And she's hold, she was holding a piece of paper. And it was someone, actually sheet music. Yeah, sheet music. And someone photoshopped in a version of the Constitution and put that out as real. Mm-hmm. And it was a fake. But people wanted to believe it because it fit what they wanted to believe. And the one of the problems today, I think, is that people take what they want to believe as fact. And you're always entitled to your opinion. The problem is, is that there really is only one set of facts. You're not entitled to your facts. You're entitled to your opinion. I have to admit, I took several online fake photo quizzes to prepare mm-hmm. for this. Mm-hmm. All right, 30 years as an objective uh-huh. journalist, I would think I would have done pretty well. I tanked it. What I thought was real, was fake. What I, I mean, I did get some right. Yeah. But we certainly would not give me a passing grade. And that frightened me a little bit. I mean, these were not news pictures that right. had been altered. Right. These were just landscapes or whatever. And I was stunned at my abysmal performance, detecting what was real and what was not. So how does the average person know? How can you be your own digital forensic scientist? <sighs> In a lot of cases, I don't think you can. I, 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 you have. I think a lot of it is what's the source. We've gotten away from because there's so much media, because there's so much, you know. It's what are real media sources, and what are fake or not? I won't even go so far as to say fake, but what are less than believable sources, or perhaps sources that. What are new? Uh, actually, let's put it. What are neutral sources versus what are sources that have an axe to grind? You know, even those, especially as we look back uh, where we've been since the beginning of the 2016 election, I noticed a disturbing trend when they would use a frame in a graphic of a candidate. Mm-hmm. You know, before you would just use a stock photo of mm-hmm. someone looking presentable. Right. Suddenly, they're using images of angry faces, distorted expressions, right. and it felt very deliberate. Mm-hmm. And that concerns me because that influences the person who's receiving it. Right. Did you notice that as well? I, yeah, I notice it. I, I'm, I see a lot of uh, uh, imagery on different politicians. Um, in some cases, certain politicians, I, I have a, I, I've been lucky enough to photograph every I didn't get to photograph President Obama, but I photographed every president since Nixon in one form or another, whether they were sitting or not. Um, Some presidents are a little more hard than others to make that calm, nice picture. Um, Or they gesture more or they... So I, I know what you mean. Yeah, I think that that a lot of newspapers are trying to go away, or I shouldn't just say newspapers, but a lot of entities are trying to go away from just the straight headshot. They want to have something with emotion. And since our our world has become more politicized and more charged, they're trying to show those emotive images rather than just the straight studio. Here he is. This is but don't you think that's part of the digital technology, the fact that you can snap so many frames? Mm-hmm. 
but also an impact of the selfie yeah. philosophy that, you know, we're all, you know, trying to manipulate our own images. I mean, I don't take a selfie unless it's way up high <laughs> so yeah. that it's more flattering yeah. and I can potentially look as w- I, I good think as it's I a, want. I think it's, it, there's, such a de- there's such a demand for imagery out there. And, you know, more and more and more. And it's interesting. It, it, it used to be said there was that, that, that idea of supply and demand. And it used to be that if the demand was really high, you'd get paid more for something. And today, oh, we'll give you a credit line, but we won't pay you. And so when it, it when there's, it just I think it really screws everything up. Money has money has screwed this all up. And accessibility. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and now, you know, but I I can remember in many cases, there weren't real issues with interviews. You'd go in, you'd do your interview, and. We were fine. Now everything's managed. It's all so much is scripted. It, it's it's not in many cases even even your access to make an image is almost not real. And and we want to believe what we see. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to believe Kim Kardashian's waist is really that small, and we know that's not accurate. That's her manipulating the image. I we don't want to believe, believe it. I don't care. <laughs> no, nor do I. But. I mean, there is a, a whole culture in our society yeah. that um, is, is is absorbing these images, and yet they're almost throwaway yeah. because there's so much. I have 17,000 photos on Flickr. Okay. That's yeah. crazy. When am I ever going to sit? And trust me, I can never find anything I want to find. But it's as though those images are just throwaways, whereas... I grew up in a family mm-hmm. of photographers, whereas the the precious photos of my father riding a bicycle for the first time in 1938 is the one frame we have of that, yeah. and we treasure it. And I'm not sure I treasure 17,000 photos. It's I run into that ima- that that problem often. And in fact, uh, I had a long conversation with. Do you remember Kevin Fleming? Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin was a news journal photographer who went on to National Geographic. Kevin was on the review stand when Anwar Sadat was assassinated. Um, Kevin's now down at the beach and has a gallery down at the beach and is selling his artwork from his gallery and has been really pushing me to do a book on a... um, I've been following a fox hunt out in Unionville, Mr. Stewart's Cheshire Foxhounds, for... 26, 27 years, and he wants me to do the book, the definitive book on it. <coughs> and I've got all the imagery, some of it's film, some of it's slides, some of it's color negative, a lot of it's digital. There's so much, so, so much. And do I hire an editor? How do I dig it all out? It's on hard drives. It's here. It's there to give you... Uh, one idea, I have um, a network storage device, a big hard drive. It's over 120 terabits. And right now I think I have, and I just started this at the big, or the end of last, or the end of this past year. So in December I put that into, um, into service. And I have, I want to say, Half of it left, 
to fill. To I'm give not you. going through that. If I can't go through my Flickr account, I'm not going through your. The, the one, the one advantage is the way I've kind of tagged things. So at least I can go to a folder with a date with a name. But it, I need a curator. I think we do as consumers as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we prepare to wrap up, I think one of the things that um, bothers me is that we blame the manipulator. But as the manipulated, it's our responsibility to say, is this Emma Gonzalez photo real? Mm -hmm. Let's look at it. Let's figure this out. Uh, it's much the same with fake news. You know, we yeah. blame Facebook, but we're reading it and spreading it. We're and the consumer. so the responsibility should be back on us. We should get back behind the wheel mm -hmm. of the message. Do you want to eat? Do you want to eat real ice cream or fake ice cream? Exactly. If you're willing to settle for fake, it says something about you as the consumer. If you want something that's true and honest, which is what we want to teach all of our kids, that we want them to be true and honest, well, then why are we willing to settle for something that's less than true? And honest. What's the last photo you saw either in a news magazine or a newspaper that stunned you and had you go, hmm? I got an email the other night about a piece by a guy named Jim Nakwe. Jim is a journalist, a practicing war correspondent journalist, uh, has been over in the Middle East, and whenever I look at his work, I, it, it, he gets so close to the violence that's there, the truth that's there, and he's done it years and years and years. Um, I think it was one of his famous images of a, there's a fire in the background and there's a guy with a machete raised over his head threatening somebody. Um, one of Jim's pictures, you could say that, um, well, what are your go-to sources, like, for um, news and for photos? Photos, photos are all over the place. I'm all over the place that way. I mean, news, I listen, I mean, I, I fully admit, I listen to MSNBC a great deal. Um, I still go to Delaware Online to do a quick kind of peruse of what's going on in Delaware. Um it matters to me. I truly miss, I think one of the great joys as I look back at my career was being that news journal photographer, was being that newspaper photographer because of that close involvement in our community um, and really becoming and feeling as though you were part of it and knowing the pulse of what was going on within your community. And I think that that, I, I miss that every day. I, I wish I, I would love to go back and continue it. I just don't know that there is a viable way for me to do that and support myself. Finally, as we think about it, and as we, we talk about the pictures that we see and how they inspire or perhaps manipulate all of mm -hmm. us, what would be your word of advice as we move forward? Because there are fewer people working daily news photography. That's right. And more relying upon all of us with our iPhones. Mm -hmm. So what would you recommend that we do? Is there a reality glass we could put over our eyes 
and see the world for what it really is? Well, I think the first thing is to find uh, sources that are not necessarily have access to grind, but that are more, um, you know, um, I don't want to just use the word honest, I, um, objective, objective. <laughs> objective. Find real, true, objective sources of news and put aside your opinions and try to see something as objective as opposed to, oh, wait a minute, it doesn't fit to what I believe, so it can't, well, maybe you need to open your mind and even though it doesn't fit what you want to believe, it's still true. What was the quote from your professor? Oh, truth through the camera. Truth through the camera. I'm holding on to that one. We can keep our fingers crossed. Thank you. Thank you. That was a Matter of Facts podcast host, Nancy Karabjanian, and her guest, Pulitzer Prize-nominated photojournalist, Jim Graham. The A Matter of Facts podcast is brought to you by Delaware Humanities, a state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Its mission is to engage, educate, and inspire all Delawareans through cultural programming. We thank the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation for its generous support of this initiative and the Pulitzer Prizes for its partnership. A Matter of Facts is produced by Delaware Public Media, Delaware's source for NPR News. Mm-hmm.